And welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 369. Yeah. Hey, who fans? I hope you're all keeping well and safe. We hope you've had a cracking week and that you've all managed to do something Doctor Who. Doctor Who related. Oh, you beat me. Yeah. Related. <laughs> you got in there quick this time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not messing yeah. around. Not messing about today. Mm-hmm. 369 is here. If you've come back to listen, then welcome back, long-time listeners. The old grizzled ancients, it's great to have you here. If this is your first time listening to the Big Blue Box, then welcome, welcome. It's great to have you here as well. Welcome, one and all. Very Christmassy, very Christmas festive spirit today. Mm. Yeah. It's our last one of the year as well. I know. The last one. It feels like uh, we're going to hit 400 pretty soon. It's yeah, coming up around the corner. towards it. Yeah. 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 So as we mentioned last week, if you'd missed it last week, then this is our last one for the year. We'll be back on, when will we be back Friday the 6th of January. There you go. It'll be the next one. So we're going to have a couple of weeks off for Crimbo and New Year. Because we can do that. Because mm-hmm. we're the boss. <laughs> we are our own boss of the podcast. That's it. Which is nice. I think most people do that anyway. Like the majority of podcasts that I listen to. They normally, uh, most of them anyway, will normally have a bit of a break over the holidays. <clears throat> the holiday season. Well, it's, it's a manic time of year. I mean, trying to, I mean, somebody said to me the other day, they don't know how we manage to do this every week. And I say, nor do I. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, there, we, there are times when we don't manage to record, you know, life gets in the way now and again, but pretty much we manage to, to do it fairly regularly. But yes, I think we, we, also it's good to recharge. And I mean, Christmas is just a, takes it out of you anyway. So we need an extra week after Christmas just to get that out of the system and then come back all fresh and sparkly. All fresh and crisp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I read you. It's a bit of a quiet one this week as well. There's no news to speak of. No. Nothing really going on there. And also, um, uh, Adam and I have done very little this week in the way of Doctor Who. We've had one of those weeks where we've done other stuff, but no uh, no Doctor Who. I, I feel like I've been Ooh. abducted by aliens this week because I can't... <laughs> I don't know where this... I don't sort of remember anything about this week. Um, I know I've been busy, but if you were to ask me what I've been doing, I can't think of one single thing, <laughs> which is really odd. But, okay. yeah, I, like you just said, it's Friday, and I'm thinking even my brain couldn't compute that we're recording on Friday when the podcast normally goes out, and it's already Friday, and I don't know. I reckon I've been abducted, mate. And I'll know. probably taken me away and thought... Oh, I think we've picked the wrong specimen here. <laughs> I think we'll we'll yeah. just wipe his memory and then plonk him back and it'll be fine and we'll go and find another one, more intelligent <laughs> life. <laughs> and you I know just, what? Yeah. yeah that on. could have actually happened. Imagine. And you'd not know about it. <laughs> I used to have a friend that was, was convinced he'd been abducted by aliens. He was really serious about it. And to this day, I don't know if he actually believes it, but he does. 
<laughs> he, he swears he was he can remember things and I'm like it, I just I could never work out if he's like mm. just trying to gee us all up but he says it with such conviction that I'm like either he really believes it or he actually was or he's having you on <laughs> imagine yeah. that if he actually was and we're all just laughing at him behind his back we're, you know to his face we're like oh yeah that sounds amazing mate oh my <laughs> god and then we as he walks away we're like oh what a nut job <laughs> you know <laughs> what a nut job yeah yet, really he's got like a little alien mark behind his ear and you know no he hasn't but you know what I mean just, so is this, imagine um, if it actually happened is this uh, he saw an alien or UFO or is this he's claiming actual contact like abduction uh, no he was claiming that he, he was uh, sort of can remember being uh, it, like in the, in the UFO or whatever like you know oh. I can remember waking up and they're all around me and wow. I've been taken away and then I, yeah, all this sort of stuff. I see. I know. Wow. Yeah. That could have happened to you, bud. I mean, he's a heavy drinker. But no, he's not really. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, it could have happened to me. I sometimes think that, but uh, I, I think I am an alien, actually. actually. <laughs> yeah. Probably come back to get me. They just come to pick you up. You've overstayed your time here on Earth, surveying everybody, yeah. reporting back. Yeah, yeah. But I've had, yeah, I've had very little time to do anything this week. Uh, like I haven't even on. had a chance. Yeah, I was going to say I haven't, um, I haven't even had a chance to to get the Christmas tree out yet. I don't, have you got your tree up? Yeah, December first, dude. Yeah, every oh, year. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even realise, you know, how unchristmassy I was until I looked around the house the other day. I think I, I went to a tree festival in, uh, in the village, and then I'll come back and look to my house and was like. Not a single decoration up in this house, and it's a week before Christmas. So um, I'm going to put the tree up this afternoon. Um, but, uh, yeah, I haven't really had a chance to do anything. I wanted to plough on my Season 2 box set, but I haven't had a chance to do that. Mm. Is you, have you broke the seal mm. on yours yet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I watched have our you? review episodes from this, oh, yeah. uh, oh. from yeah. this set. Yeah, so I cracked that open, yeah. and uh, I watched the Space Museum on disc, like, mm -hmm. a, like an old-fashioned person with a disc. <laughs> and uh, oh, I've not watched any of the special features yet, though. Yeah. No. But I will do that. two marathon do. going? Have you managed to get any further with that? Um, yeah. So when, when, what, what, um, what episode did I tell you I was up to before? Um, oh, I, can't I can't remember where it was. I think I was on like episode two. You were right. Of season that, yeah. two or something like that. But anyway, yeah. the, the last one that I watched was The Dalek Invasion of Earth. So the oh, next yeah. one um, will be the rescue, and uh, then I'll obviously skip the space museum when I get to that. It's a few episodes down yet. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, so once I've watched the Crusade, I'll go straight on to the chase. Yes, because I've already watched the space museum. Obviously, I was hoping to get the Maureen O'Brien interview watched this week. That's what I was sort of looking forward to doing, but oh, okay. I didn't get around to. It. I've watched the William Russell one, which is very nice. Uh, but oh, yeah. uh, yes, yeah. I haven't got around to the Moore and O'Brien one yet. It, I don't know about you, mate. I suppose because it's such a big box set season two, I guess because there's more story, you know, more episodes rather um, than than we get later in, in the seasons. But when you put the disc in, it doesn't feel like there's as many extras on this, does it? Like, you know, when you put the other disc in, it's got like two rows of extras for each story and some stories have got two discs. Um, not to say there isn't a great amount of extras on this set because there is, but... I don't know, it just feels really... It's got like four or five written on the page for each one. It, it, compared to the other sets, it's, it feels quite light, really. I don't don't know why. Maybe it's because there you. wasn't so many to transfer from the DVDs. I'm not sure. I know a couple mm. of extras are missing from the DVDs. They couldn't get rights to or something. But, um, but, I mean, there's still some great stuff on it, and I've still got a couple of gems left to watch. 
okay. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not okay. sure when I'm going to get a chance now. Now Christmas is rocking around. You will. You will. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, actually, what it is is we have a half's back now, and I'm just like, oh, I've no longer got the television to myself. Oh, that could be a problem. That's the other big, that's yep. the other biggie. Yep. Yeah. That's always a yeah, problem. And I don't have a TV upstairs anymore. I used to have one upstairs, but... <sighs> it's like, I'm not being funny, but we need to rethink this whole relationship thing. <laughs> because um, there's just so much stuff to watch through, and you're always mm. here. <laughs> the two just don't marry up, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, I think I just need to get another television again. Um, I can't well, that, remember why I got rid of the one upstairs. Better, yeah. Mm. Oh, I actually I do know. I went <laughs> to the office, that's right, which is freezing, and I'm not going out there to watch things. Yeah. Yeah, I read you. That's probably a bit harsh. Just getting another TV would probably be a, a nicer solution. <laughs> a temporary fix. <laughs> yeah, uh, there is that as well. Paper over the cracks. Yeah. Still there. The crack in the wall. The crack in the wall. Oh no, the crack in the wall. What a sweet, tenuous link that was. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the behind the sofa <laughs> stuff though. They're always good. They are, yeah. yes, they are good fun. Uh, on on the, they are, always are actually. But they are. And again, it's a shame that there's not one for every story on this set. I think that's the other thing I was slightly miffed about because there isn't one for the space museum, nope. which is a great shame because I'd have loved to have seen them watching that. Um, I can imagine why they didn't do them for the ones with the telly snaps. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, that's understandable. But yeah, would have been fun to have had a behind the scenes for spaces here. M must be a reason they didn't do it. I don't know. Yeah, must be. There must be time. Yeah, I, I good guess fun. time. As always. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, we haven't done anything Doctor Who. Uh, before we crack on with our review of the Space Museum, uh, make sure you check out the uh, round table that landed this week, if you haven't listened to that yet. So I was joined by Jordan, Matt and Harry, and we, we waxed about um, what they... what Because you and I spoke about the whole eight episodes per series moving forward and Return of the mm. Christmas specials. You and I did all that last week so i wanted to get those guys thoughts on that stuff and it was good to um to see what they thought about that and it was a good laugh as well so if you've not checked that out yet go and do that and you can do that oh, another tenuous link you can do that by following and subscribing to this very podcast so you won't miss any of those episodes our weekly apps they go out every friday so uh make sure you're uh, you're subscribed and stuff so you don't miss out on those and you can also listen to the episodes for free on the website. Head over to bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk and you can listen, sorry, and you can read all of the reviews and articles from those guys over on the website. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Give us a like and a follow over there as we chat Doctor Who throughout the week. And we have a sweet free Discord server as well. There's a link on the website. Hop in there, say hello, and chat lots of cool Doctor Who with other Who fans. And uh, it would be a real shame if after listening to this episode, you didn't head over to YouTube to check out Adam's channel and all the great mm. stuff over there. It's called The Geek's Handbag. Yes. In fact, do do head over this time because as soon as we finish recording this podcast, I should be uploading a video <laughs> that I've been spent weeks. You won't think I've spent weeks in when you watch it because, it, I mean, it's pretty slick, obviously, but obviously. it's pretty short. But there's a, yeah, I'm just uploading a video of the new Doctor Who calendars so you can go and see what calendars we're getting for 2023 and... um Yes, I, I could have got out last week, but I decided to add a little bit of music. I was watching it back and I thought, is this good enough to put out yet? And I thought, what it needs is a little bit of music just to, you know, just to relieve the sort of talking. It's a bit talky. Uh, it makes all the difference. Could I find the right piece of music? I was trying different, because <laughs> I get, you know, you have to use um, copyright free music. So I was 
downloading all these things from YouTube, trying them. Oh, it's not quite right. It's a bit too upbeat. It's a bit too downbeat. It's a bit too jingly. Anyway, I found some lovely music. <laughs> so go, <laughs> nice. and it, it's really, it's really, I'm actually really chuffed about the videos turned out. I was, I was saying the other day, because my mother half always says, oh, you spend too long, just put the video out, no one notices. And I'm like, no, it does make a difference. It's just, it makes it so much more watchable. So yeah, go and check out my new video. Um, it's uh, looking at all the new Dot2 calendars 2023, including the fantastic little diary that's coming out. Um which is uh, really, really cool, actually. The diaries are a bit... They were sort of dying a little bit. They are a bit getting a bit rubbish because they were doing the same <laughs> thing every year, but they've started to mix it up a bit. and They've put like these comic strip-style artwork in the new one, which you probably wouldn't expect, and it is really cool. I'm like, when I got it and opened it, I was like, they've actually done... This This is actually pretty good, this... You know, this, I say this year, 2023, next year, it's actually pretty good. So, yeah, go and check it out. See what you think. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. very cool. Yeah. Okay, dokie then. With that all being said and done, let's crack on with this week's review. What have we got, buddy? Yes, yes. It's it. So we shall be diving into the fourth dimension this week <laughs> uh, with the William Hartnell classic called The Space Museum. Well, look, look. You see where we've landed? On a museum. Hmm? A museum? Hmm. A space museum, yes. Precisely. So I suggest we go outside and take a look for ourselves. Hmm? admitting my boy that that thing gave me a start coming face to face to it again the space museum our new doctor who story starts on monday at 5 30 with the omnibus on sunday at nine on uk gold oh, i love those uk God, that was a very part i like that announcement voice yes anyone that was that's good, wasn't it anyone that's our age roughly from the uk will recognize those those uh, type of adverts and we spoke about that on the round table actually one mm. of the things when we when we started talking about mm the return of the Christmas special. We spoke about when the BBC used to do those Doctor Who idents. You know, we, like, I think it was about a fortnight out from Christmas. There'd be like these little, uh, you know, the ident, which is basically the the BBC logo. And then they do um, a Christmas themed version of it in the run up to any program that's on at the time. Yeah. There was this really cool one where David Tennant was being towed by some reindeer on his yes do you remember yeah. that that was very yeah. cool and it was a very similar voice back then it was like um next on bbc one you know all that <laughs> stuff so those old sort of announcement voices are very nostalgic and um yeah and for those that don't know if you're not from the uk the channel uk gold is a channel here in the uk that plays predominantly you know, retro programs from like the mm. 80s and 90s and whatnot so and uh in this case they went very far back with their programming and it was very cool as well that they did one particular episode of the space museum and then at the weekend on the same channel they played all of them as an omnibus that's quite rare you wouldn't really see that these mm. days i was just thinking that it's funny isn't it you wouldn't probably they probably wouldn't show that now mm. for whatever reason yeah it's very cool Rightio. Anyways, the Space Museum was first broadcast back on the 24th of April, 1965. And then the fourth and final part went out on the 15th of May that same year. It was written by Glyn Jones, directed by Mervyn Pinfield, and stars William Hartnell, William Russell, Jacqueline Hill and Maureen O'Brien. And the synopsis is the TARDIS jumps a time track and the travellers arrive on the planet Xeros. There they discover their own future selves displayed as exhibits in a museum established as a monument to the galactic conquests of the warlike Morok invaders, 
who now rule the planet. When time shifts back to normal, they realise that they must do everything they can to avert this potential future. Vicky helps the native Xerons uh, obtain arms and revolt against the Morrocks. The revolution succeeds and the travellers go on their way, confident that the future has been changed. So nice and easy. Yeah. Righto. Four-parter, dude. Like the Space Museum. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, you can't <laughs> you can't see this, listener, but me and Gary have both drawn on giant eyebrows above our eyebrows in the style of Zeron's. Just to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the eyebrows are, are mad, are mad on the set. We've got Zeron eyebrows on, but you you can't see them, which is such a shame. Uh, <laughs> the Space Museum, mate. Um, I complete. This is a story that I completely forget about. Uh, to be honest, like when you said about reviewing it. I couldn't even remember what it was. I was like, the Space Museum. And then you were like, it's in season two, dude. I'm like, season two? It's in the new set. Okay, yeah, right. And uh, I put it on. And as soon as it starts, I remember it. It's weird. So as soon as I saw the model shots at the start, and um, it's weird, that, that, that funny sort of building that the TARDIS lands in front of, it's got that sort of uh, unique pattern on the wall. And I, it suddenly all starts coming back to me. I'm like, oh, yes, yes, right. I remember this story now. So it's not one that I've uh, returned to very often. And um, I I did really enjoy it, actually. I know that the general consensus is that the first episode is good and then the rest of it goes downhill. Um, I mean, that's definitely true. I, it, it definitely runs out of steam. But I still found it very enjoyable, all four parts. I mean, I agree, the first part is, is very good. Um, but I, it's one that I think gets a bit overlooked. It certainly comes in for a bashing. I think a lot of people write it off as being a, you know, one of the not not a particularly good story of the Heartland era. But I think it's got some a fantastic premise to it. Um, I just love the threat, you know, the the idea that they this, they've jumped forward in time and they see themselves, they see into the future, and they've got to try and find a way to correct it. But I do have to acknowledge that once we get past that brilliant first episode and that idea. <clears throat> that the story does then it, there is quite a lot of just walking around the museum and it, it definitely runs out of a pace and i think some of the cast of this are really trying hard <laughs> zerons i'm looking at you you guys <laughs> you, you 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 are at least putting a bit of oomph into your performance morocks you're letting the side down because whenever they're in scenes the story really <laughs> slows up and they just feel like they're almost if I was if I was to close my eyes, I would think they were sat around a table doing the the read through for the episode. That's what it sounds like. The way the the line delivery is from those guys, there's no effort really at all. Um, they just seem to be having a bit of a jolly and going through the motions. Whereas I, I at least the Zerons are trying to put a bit of oomph into it. So yeah, it's it's maybe it's not the best Hartnell story, but it's got a great premise. And um, I will say, even though it was a bit ploddy. I wasn't bored, and Hartnell's missing from episode three. He's not in episode three. He was obviously on holiday. Um, because Ian Chesterton is so brilliant in it and, and kind of takes the lead for a lot of it anyway and gets into quite a few ruckuses, which I was <laughs> every time he did made me think of you. I bet I thought, oh, I bet Gary's cracking up. He's, <laughs> Chesterton is really up for a good old fight in this, and he has quite a few of them. So he kind of carries uh, a lot of the story, and he's very good in it. So even those episodes that are considered a bit rubbish, I, I found them perfectly watchable. And overall, I enjoyed the story. So, yeah, I, I'm giving it a bit of a thumbs up. I think it's one that I'm glad that I've 
revisited and because I'd kind of forgotten about it. And I think it's a nice little story. I watched it two and two, by the way. I must stress that. I watched two episodes um, on Tuesday and two episodes Wednesday. And that was perfect. I think if I'd have watched all four in one go, I probably would have found it a bit hard going. But watching it two and two, honestly, it was just, I thought it's absolutely perfect. And I, I enjoyed it. So not not perfect, bit of a plodder, but I liked it. I see. Okay. What do you reckon? Yeah, cool. So I think um, I'm still undecided on my score for this, bud. Oh, I am as this well, one. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because I agree with um, pretty much everything you've said. It's um, it's a strange one because so I think looking at this on paper, like once a script had been turned in as a story idea and all that stuff, it's probably really cool. Mm. You probably read it and thought, oh yeah, that's a that's a fantastic idea. It is a great premise, like you said. It's um, it's really cool. My only sort of um, hiccup, I suppose, is it just runs out of steam really quickly. Hmm. Really quickly. And I, th- I don't think there's enough substance in the rest of the story to carry it. So really, it's just one giant. Um, well, it kind of it, it starts off with a little bit of. Um, OK, the task in hand is to make sure that we don't end up in the glass cases. And so we need to figure out why. First of all, we need to figure out why we can see ourselves our potential selves in in the future in these cases. And then secondly, how do we stop that? So that's the first thing. Like you said, that's all very cool in that first episode. It's, yeah, it's very cool. And um, it's got that lovely charm around that first bit as well when they land on the planet and the doctor's like, well, let's look around, shall we? You know, and uh, and you see all the model work, you know, all the miniatures and stuff. It's, got yeah. that, it's such a lovely um, sort of cosy feeling when you see that in Classic Who. And so that's all great. But then once that's done, for the next few episodes, well, for the rest of the story, in fact, until the until the Zerons get the weapons out of the um out of the bunker and stuff and they take on the Morox and they, all that stuff. Nothing really And it's it it's difficult to describe because in a lot of stories you can see that there is stuff to do, but if it's a six parter especially, something like that, it takes ages to get there. So you think, okay, there's a lot of padding here. It's good stuff, but it's padding, you know, and we're doing the same thing. With this story, though, there's literally nothing else to do. So this, it's not even like there's these sub-threads that are running through the story where it's like, okay, maybe... Because you even thought that the thing with the Xerons being... Because um, at first you think, okay, are they just sidekicks to the Morrocks, you know? Are, yeah. Are they all in cahoots? And then you realise that, no, they're unhappy that their planet's been taken over. So you think, okay, there's a cool revolution going on. They're going to overthrow the Morrocks. It's all going to be good. And then you think, okay, something else is cool. They've quote-unquote kidnapped Vicky, even though they don't really mean her any harm, but Mm. she kind of bands with them. And you think, okay, this is a good little story story thread here. But then that really doesn't... (laughs) um, Nothing really exciting happens with that, if you know what I mean. Um, Mm. And then when you cut back to... Uh, Ian and Barbara, you know, they're just just wandering around, you know what I mean, like endlessly. There is a lot of wandering. Wandering, yeah. and, and they start yeah. to bicker a little bit as well, which is unlike mm. them. So Ian starts to get a bit sort of short with her. He's like, yeah. well, you know, because I think um, Barbara's, the way that she's been written in this one is weird because she's generally, unless she's really been through it, Barbara's normally the sort of character that's, 
I'm, I wouldn't say feisty is the right word, but she's got, you know, some some determination to her, I guess. Yeah. So she very, very rarely throws the towel in. On this one, though, all she's done really is sort of walk around for a little bit. And then she starts being like, oh, this is pointless. Uh, we're never going to get out of here. It's all, you know, we might as well just give up. Yeah. And Ian's like, no, Barbara, you know, we have to understand what's going on here. And, you know, then we can, once we understand what's going on, we can fight back and everything. And then, like you said, he, uh, there's a couple of scenes where he has some fisty cuffs and he gets his hands mm. dirty. Um, and but, but because of that, he sort of gets a little bit short with her. You know, yeah. he's a bit snappy with her and, and stuff like that. So the writing's a little bit a little bit off, I think, for that as well, because um yeah, there's no reason for them two to be like that. Do you know what I mean? Nothing really bad has especially happened at that point. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm struggling because it's nothing's really going on for the bulk of the story after the really good setup in episode one. But at the same time, it does have these cool little charming moments about it because it's such I was going to say it's got some really nice moments in between hasn't yeah, it yeah it has you yeah. know Vicky has some really good scenes with um, she does with Tor and with um, uh, I think the other guy's called Sitter I think Sitter or something like yeah, that yeah so she has some really nice moments with them and and she's quite cool but I thought she was getting a bit attached to one at, for, at, well, yeah. by the end I was like Vicky here we go I was waiting for the doctor to step in and put a stop to it you know none of that <laughs> Yeah, as he's dragging his little time visualizer into the TARDIS. Come on, I've just got to nick this. <laughs> yeah, get, get back in the TARDIS. But there is some nice moments, isn't there? I mean, it's got the iconic bit with the Doctor hiding in the Dalek, which is one of the, probably one of the best <laughs> yeah, moments in cool. Doctor Who ever, where he pops his head up. Like, you know, I can't. I'd love to have been on set that day to see Wook Hartnell getting into that thing and and doing that because it's such a great moment. It's cool, and, isn't uh, it? <laughs> I, I always try and put myself back you know to when that first aired being a kid watching that you can you imagine seeing that moment like for the as a, as a kid back in the 60s you just would love it wouldn't you and we love it now so little moments like that and i also found his interrogation quite funny as well when the doctor's been interrogated and these all these images are popping up on the screen he's being mischievous and there's a very disturbing shot of i don't know if it's Hartnell, but I think it is in some sort of like long johns, you know, as if he's going swimming or oh, something. Oh, yeah, sort of it is stood, him. yeah. You know, stood <laughs> looking, I'm thinking, God, what's going on? It's, you know, there are some nice moments in between, like you said, quite a bit of padding. And I think this, this, the shame of it is, because everyone, I think most people agree, the first episode's got some fantastic ideas in it, um, really quite sort of, for the time, really sort of ahead of their time ideas. Um, the problem is once you've had that really good setup of them seeing themselves in glass cabinets in the future and, and trying to make sure that they don't end up, they've got to change the future, which is a really nice idea. We sort of get the answers to a lot of the questions straight away in episode one. So uh, like you said, once you get past episode one, you've kind of already know all the answers to all the intriguing stuff. So even like the fact that they realize halfway for episode one that they can't hear or see them. Or, which was fascinating. And I thought, oh, because I, again, I, because I haven't watched this for a while, couldn't remember why. I was like, why can't they, yeah, why can't they hear them? Why can't they see them? You know, and I thought that's intriguing, but they answer that in episode one. So a lot of the good ideas, it's kind of all just, <laughs> episode one's got it all, basically. They just kind of throw it all mm. into episode one. And then, and then episodes two, three, and four are more about just them being captured, you know, William, uh, sorry, Ian having a fight. Um, the doctor getting, you know, uh, frozen. That's quite a funny scene as well when he gets unfrozen 
and he's uh, he's really grumpy, obviously, when he when he comes out of hibernation, isn't he? Um, mm-hmm. So th- there are some great moments in it. As I said, it was uh, it gets a bad rap, rap this one, and I think mainly because of the, you know the latter part of it being a bit ploddy. But in between those that plodding, I think there is enough for me to enjoy it. I think there's some some nice scenes in it, you know, like yeah, the interrogation, yeah. like the Dalek and and stuff. I do think there's some of the supporting cast let it down a bit though, mate. Though, who's the main Morox? You know, the the general or whatever he's got. Low boss. He's so rubbish. Richard Shaw. Yeah. Oh dear, his delivery and he wasn't performance. into it. Yeah, there was a there was um, I think him and another one. You could tell that this was just a, um, this is just another acting job. Oh because yeah. Because not only were they not really into it, you could tell that a mile off. But uh, Richard Shaw, he's fluffing his lines every oh, every other scene. He's really bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He just again, there's no. It's not. Str- I think if you got someone in there giving a stronger performance, would have definitely alleviated some of that boredom because he is given some he's supposed to be like this all-powerful general barking orders at people and he's so weak um and like you said fluffing his lines left right and center yeah he, yeah he kind of annoyed me a little bit i was just thinking come on mate just you know put some effort because well, he, he was rubbish he was rubbish that. he was rubbish yeah yeah and um it wasn't just him though so some of the no. some of the um the Zeron, uh dudes a couple of them fluff their lines a few times as well that's one thing i did notice actually a lot through the four parts is not only was william hartnell fluffing his lines a lot yeah but the supporting cast were also doing it and even very very rarely that we see this but um jacqueline hill fluffs a line as well yeah and um which yeah so i think this was the um this was the story wasn't it when they were making this one where she decided that she was going to leave because she it? had told, oh, right. I think she had told William Hartnell or Ian Chester, uh, uh, William Russell, sorry. She had told one of those two as they were in production to, on this one that um, she'd had enough. So I think, um, and also, like you said, Hartnell just was on holiday as they were filming um, <laughs> episode three. So I think, and also it must have been difficult, dude. If you think about the struggles and strains that are on everybody just making uh, an episode of any television show. If you can imagine this at the time where you've got, um, you've got uh, Hartnell just trying his best, God love him, but not quite nailing his lines. And mm-hmm. you've got the supporting cast members who clearly most of them, well, I'd say about a third of them are just not really like, there's no emotion from any of them. There's no, there's no kind of gestures. No, they're all just standing around, just delivering their lines, you know, just pretty, it's weird, looking pretty it? bored. Because just while you mentioned that, I'll just quickly say it, because well, you just made me reminded me that that's the thing. You know, the Mor- the Morocks, like you said, they are very dull. Yeah. And I did wonder, because they're all like it, I thought, I wonder if this is, is this just that the actors are being a bit rubbish? Or is this a directorial thing where they've said, you're Morocks, you're a bit emotional. I don't know, because it is weird that all of them seem to be a bit, you know, rubbish. I just, I just I couldn't work out, are bit. they trying to be like we are emotionless or or what? I, I, I don't think it is that, to be honest. I do think it's more the fact that the actors are not really performing that well. But I, I did wonder at one point if it was a directorial thing that they were supposed to be a bit 
no, you know, I, emotionless I or something. I'm not quite sure what the actors are going for, is what I'm trying to say, if you know what I mean. Because they all seem to be doing it. This sort of very bland delivery, no sort of, like you said, no sort of move, particular movements. And I just couldn't quite work out what was going on. I mean, who's the other commander guy who's trying to be funny? Well, that's what I was going to say. I think... Um, <laughs> In, in my opinion, there was only one of the Morocks that was directed and written to be just completely fed up. He was the dude that had his little rant, doesn't he? He's like, yeah. oh, if you can't get into this ship, you know, they're inspecting the TARDIS. If you can't get into this ship, then I'm going to get it in the neck. And I don't want that because I've only come to this miserable planet with just this menial pay rise <laughs> and it's all rubbish. So yeah. I think that was... The Morrock commander, who is played by Ivor Salter. Salter. Um, so I think he's just, he's like second in command, I think. And yeah. uh, and he's he looks just... familiar. I feel yeah. like I've seen him in other stuff, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, apparently anyway, according to Wiki, um, uh, Ivor Salter, he plays loads of police characters in everything right. he's got. So he's got that kind of vibe. But the other ones, dude to your points was um there's no reason for those guys i don't think it wasn't revealed to us at least that they should all have the hump as well and be fairly miserable mm. it's just that one dude is like oh god up on another day at work this is ridiculous yeah. so um but yeah it's it is weird isn't it because you would think that if they were directed to be just emotionless like you know we are more rocks you know we did there would be more emphasis on that so it yeah. c comes across to me that they're just, no one can just be bloody arsed. I mean, that's what I was saying. It's like, it must be very, it must have been a very difficult production. Not from a, not from all the other challenges that you normally have making classic who with some things of budget and time and, and all that stuff. But I mean, just from a, what's the word from a morale perspective, I suppose, mm. because while, while they were filming all this stuff, um, they were also off filming, in another studio presumably the doctor who and the daleks film so that was all going on at the same time that they were filming this so you've probably got a bunch of actors who are like well you know we're here with this thing that costs a fiver to make yeah. yet down the road there's a full feature film going on with a pretty healthy budget <laughs> same thing why are we here sort of thing so I can imagine Hartnell trying to wander into the studio as well as if he thinks he's in it. Yeah. Are you ready for me yet? Yeah. <laughs> I'm on holiday this week. I've got time to film. Oh, cheeky little cameo <laughs> while he's on holiday, yeah. You know, I, I did notice the fluffs though, mate, not just from Hartnell. I mean, he, Hartnell's fluffs a lot right from the get-go. Like yeah, the first few yeah. scenes of him, he's, he's all over the shop. Um, he does get slightly better at the end. I think maybe having that week off, he, he seems a bit more, um, he seems a bit more on form in the last episode I noticed like when he's unfrozen and stuff he seems quite strong but yeah he fluffs a lot in the first part of the story but you're right he's not the only one a lot of there is a lot of fluffs in this and yeah. they're quite noticeable actually yeah yeah there are aren't there and that's what I mean it, it just feels like um in between all the very nice little cool moments you know the little cool scenes mm. it feels like the bits in between that it's just uh, kind of sort of paint-by-numbers production on this one. It's like, here's your lines, go and do your lines. Okay, yeah. I've done my lines, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. There also wasn't, the yeah. Sorry, the, the museum feels to me a little bit empty as well. I feel like, felt like they could have thrown a few more props in to make it look a bit more interesting, that museum, because it has literally got, mm. 
like one rubbish um what's that thing that they always had in the 60s with the big tape machine oh the reel to reel um, they've only managed to find yeah. one of them to shove in the corner <laughs> there's like one looks like a i don't know if it's a space suit or a under underground undersea suit or whatever you call it mm-hmm. um, um there's very little in that museum and I felt it's a shame, actually. I do like the TARDIS being in there. I mean, I, that's, mm. that's a great idea when they tr- the TARDIS is in there. Um, but yeah, again, it, the production does feel a little bit um, stretched and you do feel like the cast are a bit run down and tired. Um, they don't feel like they're on uh, top form, let's yeah. say. Yeah. So it also feels, yeah, because of that, and there's a reason for that as well, because because there is quite a lot of content in this second series, like you mentioned at the beginning. Um, there's obviously not enough budget to go around healthily anyway to every story. So what they did was, Mm. I think it was this one and another story, they were hoping to just get that through on a real small budget so that they could allocate a little bit more budget to stories like The Web Planet and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so they tried to do it with a reasonably small cast, not many sets and props and everything. Um. Yeah, so I think that's why it also feels a little bit sparse. <laughs> There's just not yeah. much. You, you can tell as well that the sets were reused and, and all that stuff. The, that, the cast as well is a good point, mate, because there is only three of each. Yeah. You know, yeah. three Zerons and three Morocks, and that's it. Exactly, yeah. So for the, yeah. for the, the Morocks who have invaded the planet, you only see three of them. And then for the Zerons that live there, again, there is only see three, I think four tops. Yeah, maybe four. Yeah, yeah. There's not many. There's no women as well, all men. Yep. The, the, yeah, no the only cast. women in it are no. Vicky and um, Barbara. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a very small cast, yeah. Yeah, so it's. Um, I think this is why I'm struggling with my score, because mm. there are these awesome little moments. Like, um, they've tried some technical stuff as well, like when Vicky drops the glass, and then oh, they yeah. reverse the footage and it comes back up into her hand and stuff. That's all good. That looks great. And... Yeah. Um, and also the effect was pretty sweet when they when they first are walking around the museum. This is when they're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, Vicky puts her hand through one of the exhibits and then they're all like, what are you banging on about, ridiculous child? Mm. And then Ian goes over and he does the same thing. But the effect of that, it doesn't look too bad for its time. No. Because you'd expect no. that to look bloody awful, but it actually mm. looks okay. So, And there's a really cool little prop as well. You know when um, the doctor's being interrogated? They sit him in this really cool, like acrylic clear yeah, that's chair yeah. thing. Mm. I think there's a really famous photo of him in that chair there is. that does the rounds yeah. now and then. And um, yeah, so things like that. And that scene as well, when he's been interrogated and he's like, this uh, device that I've got, if you look up at the monitor, um, it will display whatever's in your, your mind. So even though you're, you might be telling me a lie, I can look at your mind and it will give you away. And the doctor's like, yeah, go on in. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and he's trying to do it, isn't he? And he's sort of leading him down a garden path. And you're like, such. He knows exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll come on to I'm Hartner in a minute. But um, so, story wise, premise wise, uh, fairly basic, really, as we said. It, you know, it's not going to. We're not setting a world on fire here with like, you know, really amazing plot threads or story or anything like that. It's just a fairly simple, sort of nice mm-hmm. little ploddy thing in terms of characters and we've spoken about some of the Morocks and the the Zerons and stuff um so the lead the lead the lead Morok dude Richard Shaw and then the second command there was another one as well that was that got accosted by Ian so Ian has a little fight with him doesn't he remember that fight scene yeah and uh I think he takes on two of them 
He does in another scene. Yeah. yeah. So Ian takes yeah. on two of them, manages to win the min win the the gun off of him, the the laser gun, mm. and. Uh, but then acts pretty cool. He doesn't just go nuts because he's got a gun. He's like, okay, I need to um to play this cool, otherwise we're not getting out of here. So he um he threatens the guy, and I think that's the Morrock technician. I think that's Peter Diamond, mm-hmm. who he does that to because I recognise him certainly from some other things. And um, yeah. So what do you reckon to that dude? Because he was like, well, I can't do that. Well, I can't do that because uh, you know, when the boss gets back. Uh, you know, he's going to figure out what's going on. And Ian's like, don't you? Yeah. So anyway, when the Morrocks are together, like you said earlier, they try and do this weird kind of Cockney accent sometimes. Mm. Um, but he was quite cool. And he had like a sort of humorous face as well. You yeah, thought that any yeah. moment he was going to burst into a, like a, a, a barrage of one-liners throughout the story, but you know, he didn't. But um, that's the only Morrock that I saw that wasn't part of like the real moody bunch. So we had Richard yeah. Shaw, Ivor Salter, Salvin Stewart. He was the Morrock messenger, apparently. I can't remember who he is. No. And then Peter Diamond, who's the, the Morrock technician. But Morrocks overall, then, are we saying that they're just a bit mediocre in this? Oh, they. I think they really let it down. I think they were really dull. Yeah. Dull. And I think they were given a bit of. They were given a bit of meat in the script. I, I, I don't just don't think they really gave much <laughs> to the story in terms of performance, which is a bit of a shame. Okay, that's fair yeah, enough. And I, then I think the Zerons were definitely better. The Zerons, yeah. So we had um So we had, they're all you feel like they're all young and fresh faced and they're <laughs> really trying to say their lines. It's almost as if they've just come fresh out of drama school. Oh, dude, aren't know? they? They feel really like up for it. They're almost trying too hard actually, but at least they're trying though. Do you know what, dude? You've read my mind. It was that yeah. it was that feeling that they give off where and that is a, f- a funny thing as well in terms of casting that the Morrocks are all fairly old men in this point. They're all mm. look like they're in their forties and fifties, where all the Zerons are. They must be what? No, no older than twenty five. Any of oh, them? Probably younger than that. Nineteen twenty. Yeah, they yeah. look really young. Yeah. So that was weird, and um, <laughs> it's like, well, we can't do that, can we? It's like the delivery in the lines is very different. It's like, well, totally. hold on a minute. I think we're going to have to re- re- rethink the situation here. Don't argue with me. Go and do this now. And then you've got the the, the Morrocks that are like, well, we're not sure what's going on here, do we? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. We need to stop these people running about. <laughs> That's quite a good impression. And then, yeah, so the Zerons, they're a bit more sort of chirpy, you know, a little bit more... Uh, there's a word I'm, I'm, I'm sure but um what do you think to those guys then because we had Sitter or sitter um tor darko and the other zeron who bless him has one line is just credited as third zeron <laughs> so, um, <laughs> oh no yeah even though there's four of them oh he's yeah so but they were quite which one's jeremy bullock he was tor Tor, because I just yeah. I thought straight away I, I recognised him. Yeah, completely yep. forgot he was in it. I was like, Gary's going to love this. Boba Fett's in it. Um, yeah, did you remember <laughs> him being in it? Uh, I didn't remember, but as soon as I saw saw him, you know, and the way it's just his voice, really. Even though he's a bit high pitched in this, it's yeah. the way he delivers his voice, his lines. Yeah, it's um, but those guys were okay. It was just a little bit. You could tell that. It's it's fascinating to talk back on it, actually, dude, because you had the the older actors, the Morrocks, who were fluffing their lines because they couldn't be bothered, and you had the younger guys, the Zerons, who were fluffing their lines because they were nervous. You could yeah. tell that this is one of their first 
or you know one of the first serious acting jobs that they've all had since coming out of acting college or whatever it was so um it's fascinating to think back on that but they were they were okay the zerons i had a i was rooting for them so they must have done something right I, w- I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, they may not have been the best actors, but they, they like you said, clearly young guys that have just come out of acting school and um, they just seemed excited to be in it, you know. Yeah. They, they, at least they were, you know, giving something in terms of performance, even if it was a bit theatrical and over the top. At least they were more interesting to watch. And, and um, you just said it there, I think, that you actually felt something towards them. So did I, because when one of them... I thought two of them had been shot, actually, but then one of them gets back up. So I think only one of them died. That might yeah. have been Zeron 3. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bill Starkey, whoever that is. Sorry, Bill. Um, but yeah, you the was... one? <laughs> I, I was going to say kudos to him, though, because when he does die and gets shot, he lands really awkwardly with his hand sort of, oh, I don't know, yeah. pressed up on the floor. <laughs> And he's obviously, they obviously sort of carry on filming and go back to him still on the floor much later. And he's still managed to keep his hand or he's remembered that his hand's in that awkward position. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he'd been laid there that whole time uh, or if he went back and actually remembered that he was laid in that. It doesn't look comfortable, even though he's supposedly dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so kudos to that actor for, you know, professionalism and, yeah. uh, and remembering that. But no, those guys, mate, you got to, there's there's a very sort of um there's a sweetness to it isn't there you just you feel like oh bless them they're they're enjoying themselves you know even though they're a bit they're not they're not great but you know yeah. lovely to see a young Jeremy Bullock though isn't it that's cool you know yeah. as soon as he walked in I mean I was like ah oh, yeah I know you um, I'm not so convinced with the with the eyebrows though that is a strange I, I mean, that is a strange look I get I, yeah I get that they want to make them look less human we are talking about an alien race somewhere but yeah. really you yeah, know but it's I, hard not to laugh though it, isn't it when they first walked well, in i was just laughing i thought oh my word what's going on here well that's my <laughs> thought process get used to it, it's but, like yeah. if you're going to make this race of people appear alien because it's not on earth that's mm. cool but just moving your eyebrows up an inch up your forehead <laughs> it, it it creates it creates um a look of ridiculousness and you're just yeah. laughing rather than, Oh cool. They look like, but again, you know, we're talking about budget and money here. So, you know, a few fake eyebrows is not going to break the bank, I suppose. <laughs> no. Um, and I mean, the, the budget shows a bit in the costumes as well, doesn't it? Because like the, it, the costumes on the Zerons and Morocks are very basic. It's just black and white, literally. I mean, yes. the, Mor- the Mor- Morocks slightly get a better deal because they've got big shoulder pads or whatever. Whereas the, the poor old Zerons, they're just literally in black trousers and, and black and black um, polo neck, and that is it. Yeah. So the budget does show a bit there. It's it's real. This is like um, sort of production design 101. Mm. It's like the basics. Like if you're going to distinguish between the good guys and the bad guys, then you dress them all in opposites, you know, especially back in the day when it's like, okay, uh, we have no idea on the future of television, so we're going to design it for now, which is black and white. Mm. So you put those guys in white, you put those guys in black. There's no confusion when people are watching it. Like, who's that? Who's that? You know that in the in the very um, in the James Bond black turtlenecks, you've got the, yeah. the good guys, <laughs> and then in the uh, in the big white shoulder pads, you've got the baddies. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. So I think overall, then Morocks mm, a bit sucky. The actors. You know, playing the Morocks are just a little bit. You know, it's 
bloody ridiculous. We'll just we just do the lines, get paid, go to the pub, you know, on to the next job. That's what it feels like. The Zerons, yeah. I feel like those guys are really kind of out to impress, you know, because they're young guys. They want to do a good job. This is their career. They're talking about. It needs to be a yeah. good, a good thing. So, okay. Um, yeah. What did you think to um, to Maureen O'Brien and them? That's Vicky. That's Vicky. Yeah, she has uh, some some decent scenes actually. Yeah, I, I, this is why I was a little bit disappointed there wasn't a behind the sofa because um, Maureen talks about, oh, which story was it? She's very unhappy with it. She said, oh, she really didn't like it at the time because she doesn't get anything to do and she's constantly being pushed in the background and I've, I've forgotten which one it was now. Whereas I think in this story, she's really, she gets some really nice scenes and she's quite strong in it. Like the bit with the tape machine, she works it all out and manages to do all that. And I think she does get some good moments in this. So... Yeah, I was a little bit disappointed we didn't get to see her on a behind the sofa with this one. Um, I'm trying to think now which story that was, because it's one that I quite like. Oh, it's the time meddler, I think. Yeah, she okay. says she didn't enjoy making that because Vicky's um, just kind of like a spare part and, and, and constantly being sort of, you know, told what to do and uh, stuff. She didn't like it. Whereas I think right, in this story right. she gets quite a bit to do. It's a shame because I, I really like the time meddler, but she wasn't a fan of, of filming that one apparently. Okay. Pretty sure it was that one. I might be wrong, but definitely on one of the behind the sofas, she says, you know, she wasn't happy. I think you're right, buddy. Yeah. 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 But yeah, but she, she has some good moments in this. I she thought. does. Yeah. And she's, um, I like her. I like when she gets, um, when she gets kidnapped by the Zerons and then she very quickly realizes that actually these are not the bad guys. They just want mm. their planet back and she wants to help them and stuff. She's very, you can tell the theme that Glyn Jones was going with in the script here because um, Barbara is very much like this. The same as the, some of the Zerons, the Zerons are a little bit like, well, not long. Um, well, you know, we've been trying to get our planet back. Nothing's working. Let's just give up. And Barbara's a bit like that throughout the story. And it takes Ian to sort of win around and be like, look, mm. come on, the other thing's going to be cool. It's the same thing with the, with the Zerons. Vicky's the one that's like, well, to be honest with you, you haven't really done much, have you? You're like, you're trying to stage this revolution, but all you're doing is being a bit of a pest. You're not actually yeah. doing anything that's going to result in in taking your, your planet back. So she sort of rallies them around and she's like, yeah, we can do it. You know, I've seen the armory. I know where to get weapons. Let's go and do it. You know, let's mm. let's do this. So you, that's the theme that the, the writer was going with, I think, in some of these uh, these scenes and whatnot. And it, I, I'm glad it was Vicky that, that did that. For them, because that could have quite very easily be written as Vicky just wanders around and follows Ian and Barbara, mm. you know. So it's cool that she was she had some stuff to do, and uh, I like her performance as well. She's got a really nice mix of being very, very, very cute, if that makes sense. You know, very not naive, but just very, you know, taking it all in and uh, mm. and, and being, you know. She's she's not she's not been in the game long enough, like the Doctor and so on, to be a bit more um, savvy. Sa yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so mm. she's still learning the ropes, and she's um, and she's taking it all in, and she's up for a fight as well, like like Ian. And um, so yeah, she's cool. Yeah, so some companion stories, especially unfortunately female companions back in Classic Who, they were written to be just I'll just follow the Doctor around and I'll scream now and then and. And that sort of thing. So it's good. It's good that she had stuff to do. Yeah, especially as she's the new companion, I think it's important to establish her as quite a strong, strong role. And I, I, I am, uh, the more I watch season two, the more I'm remembering 
um, what a good companion she is. Because I'll be honest with you, I, I, when we talk about companions, very rarely does Vicky pop into my head as one that, you know, as like one of my favourite companions or anything like that. But uh, the uh, the more I watch of this season, the more I remember she's actually a very, um, a very good companion. She's, you know, so there's a lot more to her. Um, I often think that she just sort of drifts into the background a bit. And then when I, when I rewatch a story like this, when I, there is definitely a bit more go to Vicky than, than I give her credit for. And I'm really enjoying Maureen's performance. She's, um, you know, for, for, I don't know how old she was at the time, but she's certainly quite strong in her acting considering her age back then mm-hmm. she's she doesn't feel uh amateurish if you like she doesn't feel like the new girl that's come in and trying to find her feet and i'm sort of thinking no offense but like dodo you know she just never really settled into that strong performance i know she wasn't given much of a chance but whereas maureen o'brien seems to have come in and, and straight away even in her first story i felt like there's there's something to her already you know there's She's definitely sort of got a character to her, and you do feel like there's um, a bit of gusto to her performance. Like you, not yeah. that you wouldn't mess with Vicky, but she's not afraid to, to you know, hold her own, which I really like. I mean, the heart, you know, the Doctor is quite irascible with her in this story at times. He's like, "Listen, you stupid girl, what mm-hmm. are you doing?" And you know, she's she sort of holds her own, which I really like, considering she's obviously a lot younger. Um, in terms of the cast in this. Yeah. Well, she took, fits in um, very nicely with Barbara and Ian as well, doesn't she? They've, she's sort of taken over that Susan role. Barbara and Ian feel quite protective of her and stuff, which is really nice, di- dynamic between the three. Yeah, yeah. And that scene you're talking about where he starts to he starts to really have a go at her, I think um, Barbara steps in mm, and she's yeah. like, look, 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 you can save this for later, but right now we, we need to do this. And... Um, yeah, let's talk about Ian and Barbara then, because um, yeah. I mean, we spoke about them already, but just to round them out, I thought Ian had a really good um, character um, run in this in, across these four parts. It was one mm-hmm. of those stories where that character was just completely solid across all four episodes. You know, he's um, he doesn't waver, he doesn't he doesn't get down in the dumps. He just you know he has a couple of scraps, which is really cool. Yeah, and he just he knows what he needs to do, and he, he cracks on with it. I think. Like I mentioned earlier, Barbara's character in this one, I felt for some reason, I don't know why, I don't know why Glyn Jones wrote her to be this way in this story, but she just, or maybe it was directed that way. I'm not sure, but she just comes Mm. across like very early on, she's just had enough. And that's not really like her character from most stories anyway. So I think, um, I think William Russell and Jacqueline Hill, they both very good as usual. But I just felt like Jacqueline Hill was just a little bit. Maybe it was because she was just in the mindset of, I've handed my notice in. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that sort of, you know, when you're in a job and you you know you're yeah. leaving. So all, all of the enthusiasm just kind of naturally goes, I suppose. I, I don't know. Or if it was directed that way. But both good. But just uh, William Russell was better for me. We, we, I think William, William Russell is, is absolutely fantastic in this story. Um, I mean, Ian Chesterton is such a great character and he really gets stuck in. Um, and I think he does keep the momentum going when those those last three episodes are uh, definitely running out of steam. Um, there's no doubt about it that, you know, Ian Chesterton and William Russell in particular, you know, given that performance, definitely keeps the story entertaining. And he's very strong in it. I mean, I don't think we were talking about fluffed lines earlier. I don't know about you. I, I, I think Ian is such a... I keep saying Ian when I mean William and William when I mean Ian, but I think William Russell is such a fantastic performer. I 
correct me if I'm wrong. I think I don't notice any fluff lines from him in this. I don't think so, mate. He, he no. if anything, he helps out the other cast members when they're fluffing theirs. He almost sort of gives them the, you know, the the line that they're looking for. I just think <laughs> William Russell is wonderful. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a great performance from him. I do see what you mean about Barbara. I didn't really notice it when I was watching it, but now you mention it, that you are right. Because Barbara is a strong character, and that's what I like. I mean, 60s female companions do get a bad rap for for being written as weak female characters, and that's certainly true of some of them, but but I would say not of of, uh, Barbara. I don't think she... I think she's a strong female character, Um, and I I absolutely love Jacqueline Hill's performance as Barbara, and um, I would say Vic is a strong character as well. I think when we get into the sort of next era of who when we start getting people like um what's deborah Watley's character called gosh my memory oh um uh victoria victoria yeah you know i, I hate to say it because i love um deborah Watling, but victoria is kind of that you know quite sort of screamy always sort of getting nervous is that you know what i mean that then we start getting characters female characters written they're a little bit weak always being saved by the doctor that sort of thing but i think when we look back at hartnell's era which often gets criticized for being sexist i think we're you know i think you well i don't agree with that because i think we had some strong characters like barbara and uh, vicky um but yes i do come back to your point i think you might be right she was perhaps a little bit weaker in this story than normal yeah i agree dude yeah same thing same thing not as strong. Uh, and then lastly then, Mr. Hartnell. Interesting story for him, you know. Not just because he's absent in episode three, because mm. he was on holiday, but I don't know if you I don't know if you agree with this, but my thoughts on his on William Hartnell's performance as the doctor was that when he's it it feels like he's been written as a bit of a cheeky chappy mm. throughout the episode. But he doesn't really have anything of substance to do, in my opinion, because mm. the the only thing that he does really is the, the only cool scene where you think, okay, he's kind of rocking and rolling as the Doctor, is when he's in the interrogation chair. Yeah. And he's being yeah. interrogated and, you know, he's throwing the bants back and, you know, and he's doing all that. The other stuff, he's... He's just, he's doing that same thing over and over again, where most of his lines, he's doing the, hmm, hmm, well, yeah, look, well, it's all, it's all part of the thing, my boy. Mm -hmm, mm." Mm. It's like that rinse and repeat throughout every episode that he's in. So he doesn't really have any, uh, it sounds bad saying that because he is great, obviously, as the doctor. And for the most part, he's good. But I just felt like he was written to have these cool little devious moments. And he comes across as really cheeky and stuff like that. But I can't I can't think of anything across the, the three episodes he's in where I'm like, oh, okay, he had that really good scene there with somebody. Or that little speech was really good. Or the way he delivered that line was amazing. It, I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same, but for me, it was like, yeah, he's just doing the same thing, like over and over and over again. I do know what you mean. I don't think. I mean, because I love Hartnell's Doctor, but I don't think it's um, it's not a standout story for him. He, he's got a couple of nice moments, like you said, like hiding in the Dalek and the interrogation scene, and I like it when he's unfrozen at the end. He feels quite strong, as if he's going to take command again, but then they get knocked out. But no, I think. It, 
really this story is is kind of driven by Ian Chesterton, you know, yeah, winning Russell. Yeah. It, it's He's the sort of the action man in it, which is kind of what he was brought in to do in the first place. But the Doctor does feel a little bit like a secondary character in it, especially as he's not in episode three. And I'll be honest with you, I normally notice when the Doctor's not in an episode, like in the Time Meddler and stuff, I think, yeah, you can tell, you know, I'm kind of wanting a scene here with the Doctor popping up just to sort of fill this gap. Um, I honestly did not notice Hartnell <laughs> wasn't in this because Ian was doing all the action in episode three, you know, he's having the fight and the gun. And mm. I honestly didn't sit there and think, oh, you can tell Hartnell's off this week. I didn't even, I'd forgotten until Ian finds him at the end. He goes, Doctor. And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> The doctor's not in it, so it does go to show really that this this wasn't really one of the first doctor's strongest stories in terms of the first doctor. It's yeah. very much um, he's a bit of a sort of sidelined character, which is. Uh, but you're right. I mean, he, Hartnell doesn't feel on top form either. You know, he's, he's fluffing a lot. I mean, he does anyway, but he does seem a little bit tired. And I don't know. His performance is still good, but it's not. You don't watch it and say, like when we watched the Time Meddler at the PFI recently, I, I come out and I just said how great Hartnell was in it. And, you know, his performance was really good in the Time War, in the Time Meddler, sorry. You know, I can't come out of this story and say the same thing, even though he's still good in it. It's, it's, not, it's not his strongest performance and he's just mm. not written to be the, the lead in it, really. No, the yeah, I read you. Yeah. Mm. And um, I think you're absolutely right. I think Ian steals this one. Oh, definitely. A wee bit. And he's such a great, um, he's got such great awareness as well, William Russell, because mm. there's a really cool, he does this very cool thing. He's done this in a few stories, but he's just very aware of what's happening, not just his lines and what he's doing. So there's a scene where they're in the, 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 the interior TARDIS set. Mm. And as they're walking out the doors, um, Ian is sort of knocking his fists together as he's yes. walking. Yeah. And then after that scene finished, there was a recording break. I'm not sure how long that break was. We're going to assume, you know, it's a matter of days, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they resumed filming and they're doing it the opposite now, so they're on this kind of, you know, the set where um, there's that really cool bit where he's like, well, how comes there are no footprints and, and all yeah. that stuff? Yeah. Um, he remembered that when they finished the last scene on that block that he was knocking his fists together. When he comes out of the TARDIS, he's doing the same thing. Mm. So he remembered, so he knew that in order to provide some kind of continuity between the scenes, because he knew that for the viewer, it was going to be like one cut was them, you know, one scene was them walking out the TARDIS, then you cut and then they're coming out of the TARDIS. That's Mm. meant to be seamless. He knew that in his head. The director didn't say to him, William, remember that you were knocking your fist together. That was him. Yeah. And it's things like that that you just think, freaking hell. It's like he was so into his character and so invested in making sure that everything that he had control of, I guess, for his performance was was bang on. So, yeah, I've got so much time for him as a... Not just because he's amazing as, as Ian, but just as an actor dude and just being so aware of what's going on. Yeah. It's yeah. night and day difference, isn't it? For like all of the um supporting cast members who so you just <laughs> you know, 
I know it sounds obvious, but without some direction, they'd just be all over the bloody place. Yeah. So, um, no, d- yeah. Willie Russell definitely carries this a bit. He's, yeah, he a does. lot of respect for Willie Russell. I saw a photo of him, actually. He was at some event um, a couple of nights ago in London, and someone took a, a selfie with him. He looked incredibly well. I mean, I know, um, I, I believe he's got dementia, isn't he? I think Sophie Aldred said. And mm-hmm. um, he's, Is he 98 now? 97, yeah. 97. But the photo of him, he looked really dapper, mate, honestly. He'd got like this hat on and a scarf tied up in a little knot around him. And he's smiling in this selfie. And I just thought, gosh, for a minute, for for just a second, I, I wasn't sure who it was. I, so I saw this picture get posted in one of the group chats. And I was like, so who's, oh, it's William Russell. <laughs> and it, it's just lovely to see him out and about and just looking so, so well. He is 98, um, buddy. Sorry, you 98, are right. Yeah, I yeah. think he's only, is he just turned on? Yeah. November, anyway. yeah. Yeah, but um, but he, he's I don't know. I've just got so much love for William Russell. He's just such a nice man, anyway. You mm-hmm. know, when you watch that interview of Matthew Sweet, he's, a, he's just such a lovely man. And um, but I just love his performance as Ian as well. Just just absolutely love him when he's on screen. You know, mm-hmm. I love this era. I can see why Hartnell was so cross when uh, William and um, Jacqueline decided to leave. You know, I can I can see because I wouldn't want them to leave. I, I just think those two are brilliant together. But so I could yeah. just imagine, yeah, we're gonna we're thinking of going, Bill. What? Yeah. <laughs> Stupid boy. <laughs> yeah, you can totally say that. They were so good. Yeah, I, w- I would want him to stick around. He's, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yes. Okay then, bud. Uh, I've got no other thoughts on this story, unless you've got anything else. You want to just one up? little thing, which was the music, because normally in '62 the music can be really jarring, can't it? Like, mm-hmm. um, it can be you know, because it's stock music, it doesn't always fit. I thought for 62, the music in this was actually pretty good. Like the fight sequences as well weren't too bad for the era. I mean, sometimes fight sequences in Who are so boring and so (laughs) just badly staged. But when Ian got into fights in this and the music kicked in, it, it actually was quite good, I thought, for the era. So I didn't mind the music in this one for a change. Yeah, do you know, it's really interesting you say that. Because it's one of the few stories where, again, because of they wanted to skip the budget on this one to put it towards mm. some other stories, they decided not to hire a composer or do anything like that. So this is just all stock off the shelf. Yeah, I mean, it's quite dramatic yeah. music, but I, I thought it was good music. I oh, thought, it's oh, cool. It's not bad yeah. for 60s Who. Yeah, because sometimes it can be a bit, ooh, you know... Mm-hmm. It doesn't always fit. But yeah, I thought it was quite good yeah. in this for a change. Yeah, because there's one composer, I think it's Dudley... Dudley Simpson, is it? No. Or Tristan Carey. Yeah, one of the two. With those guys, that's hit and miss because mm. they're hired specifically to do a score for that and sometimes we think, mm, this doesn't quite fit. So yeah, interesting that they've used just some basic stock music but ended up sounding, sounding all right. So Yeah, I thought so. I read you. All right, scores on the doors, dude. Uh, I'm going to give this a 6.5 from me. Ooh, okay. Because um, I think it's real... Uh, it's it got some really poor performances in it. Some strange writing choices for, for Barbara. Hmm. Hartner's not at his best. Not his fault, but he's not at his best. Hmm. And the story overall just runs out of steam real quick. But yeah. it does have some nice moments. Yep. What about you? I, I, I agree with all those points. But yeah, I found it enjoyable. I was going to say, I was surprised how much I did enjoy it, actually. Because, um, I, I, as I said, first episode, I thought, yeah, great. I was expecting to get bored, and I really didn't, even though it was ploddy. I really found myself enjoying the whole thing. But I do agree, 
absolutely with everything you've just said. <laughs> so yeah. um, I can't go higher than a seven, really. I think it's a seven. It's I liked it. It's a story I would definitely watch again, but you're absolutely right. Supporting cast and everything else, it, yeah. it, it doesn't quite reach any higher than that. Okay, I'll read you. So a 6.5 from me, a 7 from him. Mm. Uh, what did our listeners think? Over on Twitter, Chippy T says, this is a story that concept-wise is very advanced for its age. We have different time streams running, a necessity to make sure futures are what they're meant to be, and Daleks as museum artifacts and threats. All good stuff. Uh, 7.5, best wishes mm. to all for Christmas. Thank you, Chippy. Cheers, Chippy. John Appleton says, please tell me that Miracle... Oh. <laughs> John, we're not doing Miracle Day, don't worry. That's in the new year. We've only got one left. So, chill on Miracle Day, John. Uh, Owen, Doctor Who Home says, Part 1 is exceptional, a brilliant premise, and truly experimental for Season 2. However, as the story goes on, I get less and less out of it. Probably one of the weaker Hartnells. That aside, 6 out of 10. Looking forward to watching it over Christmas on the Blu-ray. Yeah. On the Blu-ray, cool. Uh, Will Sanger says, I think it's a little better than it's given credit for. The first episode is exceptional and everything following falls short. The Morrocks are dull and it runs out of steam quite quickly. But that being said, Vicky is at her best leading a revolution and Hartnell is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And lastly on Twitter, Edward Galuli says, quite boring and the worst story of the season. <laughs> uh, a five out of ten. Oh dear. Uh, okay. Ed not feeling it. No. Uh, over on Facebook, Jeff Waddle says, one eerie and fantastic episode followed by three episodes that didn't uh, that don't explain the first episode clearly. And the three episodes are some of the dullest of the show's history. Uh, the Morrocks are bored and dull and the Xerons aren't much better when a drawing of the Doctor in Swimmer is the highlight of the story you know there's a problem <laughs> Jeff <laughs> oh god uh, James Walsh says a really good first episode followed by three episodes of Tedium the regulars are great as always but it's not that great below average four out of ten. Oh, okay Charlie Turner says most likely to be the most underrated Hartnell story there is this one is the most spooky concept ever I can't I mean can you imagine seeing yourself in a museum uh, with what looks to be no way out the scene mm. with the doctor poking himself out of the Dalek is classic and the build-up to the chase at the end is great even though uh, the doctor and the company survo- uh, solved the problem uh, it was a little bit of lazy writing pretty good story though overall eight out of ten Okay, cool. And lastly, Toby Coleman says, from what I can remember, the first episode is really different and explores a really interesting concept. The rest try to prevent the outcome from the first. Haven't seen it in a while, but want to wish you everyone, wish you and everyone a happy Christmas. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okie dokie. So, okay. Scores on average, let's say a seven. Yeah, I would say yeah, so. Let's yeah. say a seven. Okay. Uh, Rightio, dude, I would normally ask you for what we're doing next week on the episode but we're having a couple of weeks off now so when we return in january you'll have to keep your eye on the socials for that we'll tell you what's going on uh then but dude give us a clue what's the next story give us a clue um giant bugs giant bugs (laughs) okay are we talking not really is it are we talking are they bugs pre-2005 or that onwards is this classic or new uh, it'll be a classic. A classic one. Okay, classic. okay. So, yeah, we'll keep you hanging on that one as a bit of a <laughs> an end-of-year cliffhanger, uh, Doctor Who Big Blue Box listener. So, um, yeah, before we um, before we clock off with the with the end credits and stuff, uh, it's been a really cool year, dude. We've um, we've had there was a break in the middle, weren't we? Where you and I were so busy with like travel and work and stuff, so we had a bit of a mm. an extended summer break, of course, but um. The rest of the year, it's been so good. 
going through all of the other stories and episodes and everything from, uh, you know, we wrapped up um, the series four of Torchwood Children of Earth. We did all that. We've gone through loads of other new and classic episodes, of course, as we normally do. And then when we came back after summer, it was the power of the doctor. So we had um, Jody's final one, and then we've cracked on with the, our usual schedule. So as usual, it's been a nice busy year. Plus, we've been out to events. You know, you've been to the BFI loads, and you know we've done all that. So uh, yeah. I want to uh, I want to thank all of you for listening throughout the year. As usual, it's been another year where we've had some great interaction from you guys, some great some great uh, people on the Discord and the socials and everything. So thank you so much for listening and um, and for subscribing and following and doing all that stuff. It's been great, dude. It certainly has. Yes. yes. Uh, okay. I think we'll wrap there then for episode 369. All righty. Thank you, thank you so much for coming back and listening to another episode of the Big Blue Box podcast. That was episode 369. It was great to have you here listening, as always. And uh, as I said at the very beginning, if you're new to the show, then welcome aboard. If you're a long-time listener, one of the grizzled ancients, then um, welcome back aboard the TARDIS. It's great to have you all here listening to us waffle about Doctor Who. Uh, So the Space Museum, uh, some okay scores there, um, but I think some people thinking it was a bit bit like dishwater some other people thinking it's a bit of a hidden gem so go and check it out if you've not watched it yet crack the new season two blu-ray open or, or go on Britbox and give it a watch it's certainly worth a watch we will say that regardless of um of scores and whatnot oh, yeah. we'll be back in the new year our first episode will be friday the 6th of january so we're going to take a couple of weeks off in the meantime um make sure you're following and subscribing to the show just um search for the big blue box you'll find us on there or head over to the website Big Blue Box Podcast at Code.uk. All the links um, are on there, plus you can listen for free. Links to the socials, links to the Discord server, go and do all the things. And go and check out Adam's channel over on YouTube. It's The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag, yeah. Go and have a look at my YouTube channel. I'm also on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All the things, yeah. All the shiny things. Okay then, so dude, have a lovely Christmas. And our Big Blue Box listener, have a lovely Christmas and New Year's. Take care, stay safe, do all that stuff. And we will see you when you get back. Until then, remember... Hey. Hey.